It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you this afternoon. I want to thank everyone for having us tuned in, locked in. And if you haven't downloaded that free Sound of Mobile app, make sure you do so. You can download that to any Android or Apple device that you may have to correspond with us here in the app. You also... Phone lines are wide open, 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. That's 251-694-1055. And Nick Wiggins, I know we'd love to see our Mobile, Baldwin County student-athletes always do well, not only in high school but in college as well. But yesterday, National news was made by Ryan Hollywood Williams reclassifying to the class of 2024. And today, another 251-er makes national news as Riley Leonard has officially transferred to Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, we were talking with uh, Brian Matthews last week about the rumors of him potentially going to Auburn. You and I, we mentioned Texas A&M, but Notre Dame was there. Uh, in his tweet, it says a dream come true. I don't know if he's been a long time like Notre Dame fan. I mean, I think it's really good for Notre Dame. I mean, I think Notre Dame had a potential to have a really good year. Family year. lines there. You okay. mentioned was he a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, tell me, tell me. But his great-grandfather played for Notre Dame there in the 1930s. So there is some family lineage and some history that connects him to the luck of the Irish. And it's just not that golden dome and the historic premise of the great Catholic institution that is Notre Dame. Yeah, okay. Well, cool. So, I mean, good for Riley. And I'm excited to watch him. I mean, look, Duke had a a really good year. This year, you know, enough for their head coach to get a raise, enough for Riley Learn to be on Heisman Watch, NFL Draft Watch, and everything. So, But Notre Dame is a bigger, more successful program. So if Riley Leonard can, you know, continue growing and proving himself like he did, you know, at Duke, then Notre Dame's, you know, primed for a good year and potentially a college football playoff appearance. I don't know why they wouldn't make it. I mean, that has to be the goal. Well, I think that, It's just a little bit of irony added into this situation with Riley's decision to go play for Notre Dame. You look at where he suffered that ankle injury and who it was against. Of course, it was against the Fighting Irish, and it cost him a lot of his season. And you, you look at the fact that he also had that hurt toe. But to be honest with you, I, I thought that maybe the Auburn Tigers would have a great shot there. And as Timothy Duvall in the app says, he he did say a few weeks ago that Riley Leonard, when he entered the portal, would probably wind up at Notre Dame. And, you know, I, I say when you enter the portal and knowing that 
everything was closed. He didn't want to be contacted. There was closed contact there. The opportunities, either Auburn or Notre Dame, look forward to hearing from Riley Leonard. He mentioned about how great the institution was, how great the coaches were, and really what made him decide to do it. But Duke 7-5, and five, now without Riley Leonard, now without their former head coach, who is now the head coach at Texas A&M. Right. We'll see if Duke, a program that had been on the rise in the ACC, Continues to take us, yeah, take a step back and and goes back into mediocrity, or whether they can continue to contain it. But what does Notre Dame's schedule look like next year? I know it's going to be a tough one. I know that you know you do look at the Fighting Irish at nine and three facing Oregon State in late December in the Sun Bowl, Let's and see. Duke facing Detroit they Trojans. Going, okay, so. And this is on fbschedules.com. I don't know how accurate this is. I'm assuming it is. Why would you just put out a whole fake schedule? But it, apparently they're kicking off against Texas A&M in Texas A&M. So his new team, Notre Dame, is going to face against his old head coach and his new team. And then, uh, you know, NIU, Purdue, Miami of Ohio, Louisville, Stanford, Georgia Tech, Navy, Florida State, Virginia, U.S., and then, you know, wrapping the season up. At USC. So, yeah, some pretty good, fun games for Riley. Um, you know, prime time. That, that season opener is going to be fun against Texas A&M. So, I'm excited. And there was a lot of Heisman hype going into Riley Leonard this season. And rightfully so with what he had produced in 2022 when he passed for almost 3,000 yards and 20 touchdowns. Riley is just one of those steady leaders that I think that because of Duke having that huge win over Clemson earlier in the year that drew a lot of attention. Anytime you're able to beat Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers, a team that's always mentioned here within the last decade of competing for national championships, you really felt that Riley was going to give Duke yeah. an opportunity to beat Notre I Dame. I mean, things seemed like they, were, like they were looking up, but now, you know, you tell someone that you beat Clemson, they don't really care. I mean, Florida State beat Clemson. Like, it, it doesn't seem to really mean much anymore when you beat Clemson. Clemson, you know, they've been in the college football playoffs the second most times out of any college team, I think six, Compared to Alabama's eight, they're in first. But I'm just, I mean, do you think that the Sun, you know, we talk about the dynasty being dead for Nick Saban. I mean, is the dynasty dead for Dabo and Clemson? Like, is that reign of him just always being top five over? Because it hasn't been, you know, like that for a while. I'm not quite ready to, to, to close the lid on Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. I, I thought he may flirt with some other coaching positions here in the offseason and I think that again sustaining the type of success that Dabo has had here within the last six or seven years is what makes Nick Saban and what he's been able to accomplish so great in sustaining right. a dynasty and being able to change with the portal being able to change with NIL being able to change with no huddle offenses, just the ability to be able to flex and be flexible in change. And 
Dabo says, look, these are my principles. These are this is my foundation. This See, is how I want to get I'm it saying. done. Like, I just don't know if the foundation of his building is like up to code anymore, Corey. Yeah, you I know? mean that's a great point. That's a great point because those hurricane proof buildings that were built forty years ago aren't up to the standards of those that are built today. And right. just because you do have a solid foundation doesn't mean that it's going to withstand the strongest storms. And I think that that's a situation with Dabo and the Clemson Tigers. But Riley Leonard transferring to Notre Dame, to me, is a great fit. Taking over for Hartman, who will probably have a great shot at making the NFL. Is he a he's a senior? He's yeah, leaving? I, I do believe that he is He had a pretty be good gone. year. Oh, yeah, without question. I mean, he's one of those that at the beginning of the year was in contention for – the Heisman yeah, Trophy as the well. season first started, yeah. You know, because Hartman did transfer into Notre Dame himself and they hit that portable portal from Wake Forest. So I, I know that just given the opportunity there to try to shine, that's something that's going to be real interesting. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Scheduled to join us on the other side of this break. Let's see. How many times can we promo that before? That's the magic key right there. every day. We're supposed to have Tim Brando <laughs> on today. Stay tuned. We'll see. <laughs> Scheduled to join us is Tim, Tim Brando. So we'll see if he's able to make it or not. If not, plenty to talk about here on the final drive with Corey Bounty and Nick Wiggins. Tim Brando scheduled to join us next. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And, of course, the big news yesterday was the reclassification of Ryan Hollywood Williams. And then you look at the news of today, Riley Leonard transferring to Notre Dame, hitting that portal and having an opportunity to now star for the Golden Dome, and I, I think that that's a great fit, and you love to see Riley Leonard and a healthy Riley Leonard at that, and also you look at from a college football standpoint, you have five-star Georgia verbal commit Dylan Rayola maybe flipping his commitment to the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and would that be a blow to what Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs want to do? Because, again, you know, you look at Alabama having five quarterbacks on their roster, none more effective and efficient than Jalen Milrow. But at the same time, when you've been sitting waiting on the five-star commit verbally, Dylan Rayola, and having another five-star recruit, go to the Crimson Tide, Julian Sayan. These are the two top recruited quarterbacks in the country, one going to Alabama, one going to Georgia. But the NIL money possibly making a factor for the Nebraska Cornhuskers and Matt Rule having a chance to, to sign uh, would be one of the biggest signings ever in the history of Cornhusker football and Dylan Rayola coming to 
Nebraska, it's one of those things that you can't wait until signing day does occur and does hit, and we'll find out what they decide to do. But also last night in the NFL, a lot of great action. When you get a doubleheader in the NFL, you, you know that it has to be something that toward the end of the year, this is like the third doubleheader on Monday night of the season and anytime you have football on abc and espn and you get a chance to to choose in between green bay and the giants or the titans and the dolphins two more upsets in the nfl so you just don't really know which way that's going to go and you see last night the giants did defeat the packers 24 to 22 and Tua tunga Bailoa gets upset last night as far as the Miami Dolphins fall into Tennessee. But I, I tell you where you can never get upset. You can never get upset talking to Tim Brando. And Tim Brando joins us from Fox Sports. Tim Brando now on the final drive. Timmy B, how's everything going, my brother? Merry Christmas, Corey. It's good to be with you, and I wish everyone down there in God country, the upper corner of lower Alabama, all the best. Hope y'all are well. Absolutely. Too blessed to be stressed this way. And we'll jump right into the last time we, we had you all here on the final drive is in preparation for an epic matchup between the Crimson Tide and the LSU Tigers, one in which Heisman Trophy winner now, Jaden Daniels, played a, a wonderful game along with Jalen Milrow. But now the Crimson Tide getting ready in the college football playoffs, getting ready for their matchup. One versus two in regards to all-time wins in college football history. Michigan taking on Alabama. Give us your thoughts on that matchup. Well, listen, uh, despite uh, my my issues with the college football playoff committee and uh, the absolute um, uh, disdain that I have for their process and what they did to those those kids at Florida State, I mean, Corey, there is no doubt that the matchup uh, between Alabama and Michigan is a great matchup. And I, I predicted today. I went on uh, Dan Dockage's show on Outkick, and I, and I also went on Twitter, and I made my selections. I'm picking Alabama to win the game, and I'm, I'm doing it based on um, the Milrow factor. I think that there are no players in the Big Ten at the quarterback position that puts the kind of pressure on a defense, especially on its perimeter, on its edges, both with uh, an arm and, and legs, or quite like Milrow, there just wasn't a player this year in the Big Ten at that position that did that. There were several in the Pac-12. There were several uh, in uh, the Big 12, but, but none in the Big Ten. And I think that that's really the difference uh, in the game, potentially. And look, um, Michigan matches up very favorably to Alabama in terms of its uh, offensive and defensive fronts. I think its linebacking core is outstanding. You can make a great case that J.J. McCarthy is also a handful for Alabama's defense to deal with, and he is. But he doesn't have, I think, uh, the, 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 the physical skill that Milrow has to run the ball um, and, and pound you. Uh, you know, when he hits you, it's a load. Uh, J.J.'s a little more uh, the size of a quarterback. He's got good size, but not the size of a Milrow. They've got two great tight ends that I think are the strength of their passing game. 
And but I think Alabama's dealt with that. You know, they they had to deal with Brock Bowers, albeit not a completely healthy one. But they 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 know how to deal with a, a really good and outstanding potentially first round draft pick tight end and, and Bowers. So I think that they'll be able to match up uh, with Michigan that way. I, I think that the game will come down to the offensive and defensive fronts of, of Michigan. Will they be able to run the ball effectively? They've run the ball effectively against everyone, including Ohio State um, and Penn State. You know, two tough defenses. But but Alabama, I think, can uh, can have more explosive plays. I think that um, that that ultimately can be the difference in any one of these uh, big time games because it's hard to manifest long drives uh, when you're playing against quality defenses and, and teams that have a lot of depth. Michigan's got plenty of that. And um, but I just think ultimately it's which team can make the most big plays, and by that I mean you know 25 yards or more in the air, 20 yards or more on the ground, and I think that Alabama's got an advantage there. Uh, Michigan's got big time backs. In fact, if 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 you're going to talk about the, the running back position, I'm going to give an edge to Gorham and and um, and to Donovan Edwards. Uh, those are two fantastic backs that ultimately can wear you down. Um, but, but again, with this much time to prepare, and there's no one better with that much time than is Nick Saban, uh, I think they can so, certainly throw some wrinkles in their coverages to make life uh, more difficult on McCarthy. And, um, you know, those two cornerbacks that Alabama has are, are going to be playing at the next level very soon. And uh, Michigan's uh, receivers, in my view, except for those tight ends, uh, are not are not special enough to get the kind of separation you need. So I like Alabama in the game. I do, even though um, I, I really don't believe Alabama should be in the the playoff. I think the matchup is is to their to their advantage, and I I, I think they're going to win the game uh, and and play for yet another national championship for Coach Saban. Tim Brando, our guest here on the final drive on WNSP one hundred five point five and. Timmy B, you mentioned you didn't feel that Alabama should have been in the college football playoffs. The way that they were able to to beat the Georgia Bulldogs, to end that 29-game winning streak, the way that Alabama was able to win on fourth and goal from the 31, and just the, the type of life that has been given to Alabama time after time this entire season, and the fact that you have Nick Saban, who loves the fact anytime he can have his team listed as an underdog, he's going to use that yeah. as motivation. Yeah. Uh, talk about what that will mean. I mean, the line's coming out. It started off at two and a half, and now Michigan only favored by one. But the job that Nick Saban's done, I know you've seen him and watched him coach for a very long time, whether it's at Michigan State or LSU or at Alabama. But I personally believe this is his best coaching job that he's done, not only for the Crimson Tide, but period in his coaching career? Uh, no argument for me on that. I mean, none. Um, uh, I will I will go back to your point about 4th uh, and 31. I mean, you got to be lucky, and he was. I mean, that was a great throw and a great catch on 4th and 31, but, I mean, they were stumbling and bumbling and fumbling around to get back to 4th and 31, uh, whether it be um, uh, a poor snap or whether it be a false start. I mean, Alabama's made a lot of mistakes. That's another. If, if Alabama loses this game to Michigan after such a layoff, I think it'll be because of that. You know, they they have lacked discipline in terms of playing clean games. 
but they've had the you know the industrial fortitude to get past it and and make big plays and win and and that's all you can do with a team that that is not vintage Alabama. This is not a vintage Alabama team. Look, Auburn wasn't very good. I mean, that's an Auburn team that lost to New Mexico State a week earlier, and and they outplayed Alabama, but for one play. I mean, they they really did. But again, you got to take advantage of those opportunities. That's what great teams do, and and Alabama was able to get to that position. My my issue with Florida State uh, isn't they they got jobbed by a system, a process that, in my opinion, has been flawed and, and corrupt from the very beginning. You can't have uh, five power, five champions for four spots, and uh, we knew that when it was screwed up in 2014. It was screwed up again this time. And uh, the facts are, if, if Texas uh, you know, had not beaten Alabama, uh, Texas would not have been in uh, the, the, the college football playoff. But Texas did beat Alabama and got married into the college football playoff because of that win, because uh, the committee had made up its mind they were taking an SEC team regardless. Had Georgia beaten Alabama, then Florida State would have been in the fourth spot. Okay, no doubt in my mind. Uh, it would have been one, Michigan, uh, two, Georgia, three, Washington, four, Florida State. That's what it would have been. But the moment Alabama pulled off that win against Georgia, the committee was in a real pickle. And they could not move on Alabama unless they moved Florida State out. So, in effect, uh, Texas was the reason because they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. But, uh, you know, that, that team that went 13-0 and and was down to its uh, third-string quarterback, they also found a way to win. You know, their defense was incredible. And uh, they would have had their second stringer back, and in my view, they – they should have been in a position to play for a national title. I think uh, the gerrymandering process here and the lack of transparency about it uh, is what I have a problem with. And my problem is not with Alabama. My problem is, is with the committee and the way they handle this and uh, their inability to tell the truth or have any transparency about why they made the decision they made. Uh, Boo Corgan was interviewed countless times and wouldn't budge, wouldn't say what the real truth was, and, and that was my problem. But um, as I said today on my tweet uh, on X, I said, um, regardless of how I might feel about it, the matchup is still awesome. And I believe that, I mean, Michigan and Alabama, if, <laughs> from a national standpoint, I understand why, why Kirk Herbstreit so badly wanted the game. Who wouldn't want the game? I can't imagine, uh, in terms of just the, the national landscape, north versus south, um, a, a better coach to rally against than Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, given everything that's gone on with that program this year. So Alabama fans are jacked for that game. And if you're a Michigan fan, who better to knock off than, than Saban, who's, um, you know, used to coach at the dreaded uh, uh, school in, in the state that uh, they loathe, Michigan State. And of course, went on to become, you know, the greatest of all time as a head football coach. So, the game's got all the juice, and, and really from a matchup standpoint, tremendous matchups, uh, and it will carry a lot of weight. I actually think the winner of the national title might be in the other game, but this game, Michigan-Alabama, is the feature matchup, make, make no doubt, the one that all of America is, uh, I mean, even casual fans will be watching this game, and I don't know that that's always the case in the national semifinals of the CFP.
Tim, you used to talk about, I know growing up, I used to hear you always talk about the fly in the ointment. And <laughs> again, one year ago, that fly in the ointment was TCU defeating the juggernaut in the Michigan Wolverines. And then you right. see exactly what happened to TCU in that disastrously played national championship <laughs> game for the Horn Frogs. Now, on the flip side of that, do you think this is the TCU effect in seeing for Florida State to come up short, not having their full roster? And, I, yes, you're right. The backup third-string quarterback did find a way to get a win. But is it mm -hmm. all about money? Because you and I both know oh, yeah. that, that, that yeah. the money yeah. is, is driving the train and – Michigan, Alabama is is much more watchable, win or lose for either one of those teams oh, yeah. to play Texas, no, Washington. There's no there's no debate there, Corey. I mean, there's no there's no debate about that. Um, but just because you, you prefer a certain matchup doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Agree. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with it, that. It, it's easy to say that the preferred matchup, and I, and that's why I took issue with the uh, the the way the uh, the game day guys. I watched that show. I was getting ready for a basketball game in Wisconsin, and I, you know, they set up uh, Greg Sankey for, you know, uh, a 45-minute uh, infomercial uh, for for the Southeastern Conference uh, to send to the the committee. I, I don't know how many fans really gravitated to what was said, but I I know I did. They they he was speaking directly to the committee. I mean, directly to the committee. Uh, and and he made his case. And by the way, that's what he's supposed to do. That's what the commissioner of your conference is supposed to do. He's supposed to have your back. And I applaud what he did uh, for his league. But I thought that uh, it was it was um, well plotted and formulated, and and something that um, Herb Street and and the rest of those guys on that set uh, wanted to accomplish. And you know, I don't, I don't find fault with Kurt for wanting a great game. I, I, who wouldn't want the game between Michigan and Alabama? It'll be probably, as I said, the most watched game in the history of the college football playoff. Maybe the most watched game all time in college football history. It, it sets up that way, as I said, with all the drama with the Michigan program and the drama coming off the CFP choice with Alabama getting in and Florida State not getting in. It's got all that kind of juice and. The personnel on both sides uh, outstanding, and it is you got that whole north-south thing going, which also drives a lot of interest around the country. But but Florida State did everything that was asked of them, and they went 13 and 0, and you know they they beat good teams, they beat a top 15 SEC team, their conference went six and four against the SEC. Despite the fact that, that the that Florida State had to play a Louisville team that, you know, had lost to Kentucky the week before, which didn't help them, the ACC didn't give them a lot of help late in the year. You know, Clemson also lost four games. So I think all of those things that were going on that were negative for the ACC worked against Florida State. But that that was not their fault uh, by any stretch. No. And no. I just think it's a I think it's really sad that the committee couldn't come clean and admit what the issue was. They, they could have just easily said, hey, in that room, uh, the consensus was the SEC had to have a team in. And, now, and when Georgia was not that team, and when Georgia was not that team and it had to be Alabama, then because of the criteria of head-to-head -head with Texas, that eliminated Florida State. We had to go with, with, with Texas 
over Florida State because they had beaten Alabama and Alabama had to go because we needed an SEC team. Oh, that's that's really all I required, uh, and I wouldn't have been as upset. But but you saw just how they dodged it and and would not admit to it, and and that's the problem. And it's it's the reason Corey why they're going to have to overhaul this entire uh, formula that they have to pick teams before we even go to 12 because we'll have similar stories and more of them when we go to 12 because they're going to be grinding and looking at schedules and you know uh, splitting hairs over teams that are 10 and 2 and 9 and 3 you know moving forward so um, we we need rules and regulations not nebulous criteria that says in case of injury we the committee have the opportunity to do this or that which is basically code for saying Hey, if we're in trouble, we'll just pick whoever the hell we want. Okay? Yeah. Why don't you just say that? And because that's what it was. Now you have, Tim, the second semifinal matchup. Texas and Washington, two great quarterbacks, one that actually made the Heisman New York voting and Michael Penix Jr., one that if he was not injured after he defeated Alabama and Quinn Ewers, who was an early Heisman candidate for most Texas and Washington very intriguing matchup there with coach Sark having an opportunity to have the eyes of Texas upon him and to see if they can get their money's worth and hire him him as their head coach yeah I, I like Washington in this game and I want to tell you why uh, the two teams played in the Alamo Bowl about almost uh, 12 months ago to the day by the time they play this game and most of the players in that game are returning for this one so there's a lot of familiarity between these two programs, Corey. And two things that jump out. Look at the stats on Washington's defense. Now, you won't be that impressed when you see how many yards they give up. But, you know, they played in the Pac-12, okay, with the best quarterbacks in the country littered all through the league. So they, they surrendered a lot of yards. But when you look at points allowed from all those yards they yielded, it's, it's incredible. Uh, for the most part, they average giving up uh, under 20 points a game in the red zone. Okay, under 20 points in the red zone. The scoring, the scoring points were uh, they were averaging. Their defense was averaging giving up going into the the Oregon uh, Pac-12 game, Pac-12 title game. They were, I think, in the top 25 in points allowed which is a difficult thing to do in a league like the Pac-12, where there were so many unbelievable quarterbacks. What they do is they yield yardage. It's a bend-but-don't-break kind of thing. They'll give up uh, explosive plays. But when teams get inside their red zone, they've got two of the best um, – they got two of the best rush ends that you'll find in college football, and they get a lot of negative plays from sacks from those two defensive ends. And I think that, coupled with the fact that Penix has three unbelievable receivers, probably the best three receivers on any one team since Joe Burrow had those guys, Jefferson and, and uh, Jamar Chase, and, and those incredible receivers he had, the Taylor kid, all of them playing for him in 2019. They, they're awesome. And uh, whether it's uh, McMillan or uh, Odunze, they they make 50-50 balls theirs. I mean, they're, a 50-50 ball for Michael Penix is like an 80-20 ball in favor of Washington. And and I think that could be the difference in the game. Xavier Worthy is one great uh, receiver for, for Texas. Uh, Brooks has, had been hurt, but he's gotten back, which is good news 
for Sark. You know, you can make a case that Texas's uh, defense against the rush is, with Tavondre Sweat and all those guys, magnificent. Probably pound for pound and up and down the roster, Texas is better. But I think that skill positions, I give a big advantage to Washington, both offensively and defensively. So in a game that will look more like a track meet, I think it might take 45 points to win. I have a lot of faith in Washington's defense in the red zone to hold Sark's teams out just enough to get the win. And, um, and, and I believe Washington is a horrible matchup potentially for either Alabama or uh, Michigan. Whoever Washington plays, in my opinion, is going to have a real hard time dealing with them because they are so skilled and their defense is so much better than their overall statistics would, would indicate. Um, Kalen DeBoer has done an incredible job. And Michael Penix, um, unfortunately for him, he was going up against a, an equally outstanding quarterback in Bo Nix in that Pac-12 championship game, or he would have probably won the Heisman Trophy. His numbers were really good in that game, but Bo Nix played right with him. You know, Oregon was in it until late. And um, I, I think that that's one of the reasons Jaden Daniels won the Heisman Trophy, because neither neither Bo Nix or Michael Penix really distinguished themselves as, as Heisman winners in that game. I, I thought that if that one ended in a tie in terms of performances by the two quarterbacks, that it would signal a Heisman Trophy for Jaden Daniels. I think that's one of the reasons he got it. Well, I know that the Heisman vote, you know, you look at Bo Nix and his dad, Pat Nix, one's a state championship here in the state of Alabama, and, mm -hmm. and he had a chance to watch his dad on last Wednesday win mm -hmm. that state championship. So that's an interesting father-son dynamic there that is second to yeah. none and unparalleled. And, you know, just to, to be on the sidelines back to see your dad win a state championship uh -huh. and then dad a couple yeah. of days later to be in New York to see his son possibly win a Heisman Trophy, That that's awesome stuff. It is. I was happy he was invited. Uh, I was prepared. You know, I did the USC um, – Oregon game on November the 10th. That was the same night that Daniels had that unbelievable performance against Florida, uh, which I think statistically went a long way towards him winning the Heisman. But uh, and, and 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 Bo outplayed Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman winner in that game. Uh, and in talking with Bo and in watching that Oregon team, I was convinced Oregon would beat Washington in the rematch in the Pac-12 championship, but it didn't happen. Uh, Washington did another great job of defending the the red zone and uh, they came away with threes a couple of times instead of touchdowns and and that's the reason UW won the game but I was prepared to vote for Knicks or Penix again if, if either one of them had really outplayed the other but but they didn't and uh, you know it's harder I think when you're trying to win a uh, a championship a conference championship and get into the college football playoff it's a little harder to go out there and pad your stats from a passing standpoint, you're going to have to run the ball. You're going to have to do some things and be a little more conservative with your play calling from time to time. Uh, Brian Kelly and and in uh, LSU, because of that third loss, the one they got against Alabama, that sort of freed them up to just let Jaden Daniels wing it. You know, just hey son, go out there and throw the ball all over the park. You know, and make plays. That's how LSU had to win anyway. They had no defense. They had a historically bad defense, and it and it paid dividends, and it, it enabled um, an LSU team that was um, uh, not complete by any stretch to win nine games. They'll probably get a tenth uh, in their bowl game, and 
and it enabled uh, their, their quarterback to get a Heisman Trophy, which you know brings a lot of national relevance to LSU at a time when they were really out of the the, the, the storyline of the national championship from the time they left Tuscaloosa moving forward. So it was a you know it was a, a bad uh, uh, thing for them to lose to Alabama and not have their quarterback much of the fourth quarter. But it certainly worked out well when he got healthy enough to play, and he was able to just chunk that thing all around the yard and and uh, and have numbers that eclipsed by a large margin what either Penix or Nix had done. Timmy B, you have about two minutes left with you. Do you ultimately see Alabama versus Texas 2.0 for the national championship? No, I think it'll be Alabama against Washington. I think uh, I think Texas. Uh, that, 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 the idea that 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 game could happen is certainly a storyline, right? I mean, it's a huge storyline, but I think Washington will disrupt it. I, I think that uh, they match up really well against Texas. You know, the Longhorns have given up uh, quite a bit of yardage and against some really, really good quarterbacks that have played well against them. Uh, and I think Michael Penix is a great quarterback. Not a good quarterback, but a great quarterback. And right now, I think he's playing at a higher level than Quinn Ewers. Now, Ewers has the ability to have a great game, and Texas, if it can control the football and make big plays and get into the end zone, not necessarily get stopped inside the, the 10, because as I said, I think Washington's defense is really good in the red zone. Uh, I think it'll be Alabama-Washington in the championship rather than, than Alabama-Texas. That's, that's how I see it right now, Corey. Well, I'll tell you what. I always appreciate your time when you take time out of your day to join us here on the final drive and look forward to seeing a lot of college football here within the next three weeks as we look forward to the semifinal matchups that are coming on New Year's Day and look forward to talking to you afterwards to break down who eventually will become and play in the national championship game on January 8th and can't thank you enough Timmy B for your time here with us here on WNSP 105.5 you got it Corey Merry Christmas to you and yours tell everybody down there in Alabama uh, around the Perdido Key and Gulf Shores and and Orange Beach tell them I said hello and I can't wait to see them come spring will do Tim Brando Hall of Fame broadcaster Fox Sports joining us here on the final drive we'll be right back Final drive. Some upsets last night in our two Monday night football games. With the Giants coming out on top. The Titans coming out on top. Tommy DeVito in the news. His family was tailgating at the game, giving out some chicken parm sandwiches. You said Danny DeVito? No, to Tommy DeVito. I might have said Timmy DeVito. Tommy DeVito. You, you, not Danny DeVito? No, not Danny. I don't know if they're related or not, but his agent was going viral today because he was rocking the all-black, the mobster, the pinstripe fedora suit. Uh, I mean, look, the guy's just when, when he scores the touchdowns, he does the little Italian hands. I know it's radio, so you can't see me doing it right now, but... I don't know. I'm liking this guy. I mean, he is as New York as it gets. He's like stereotypical. I'm talking like cartoon sitcom New Yorker. 
Um, but it's fun. I, I've been enjoying all the stuff on social media. It's been great stuff. I, I, I think that when we have been talking about the upsets in the NFL last night, the Giants over Green Bay 24-22, to 22, I, I know that many people, you know, if you're especially if you're a Giants fan, you, when Daniel Jones goes down with that injury, you're, you're trying to say, okay, who are we going to bring in as our backup? And then your backup goes down. And then Tommy DeVito, 17 out of 21 for 158 yards, one touchdown. At the end of the day, DeVito, done, got it together for did, the Giants. Did. And look, you know, you're talking about these upsets. I was looking at something. It said if you were to bet $100 five weeks ago on the Monday Night Football underdog and you just kept rolling that over until, you know, last night and you bet on those two, you'd have over $200,000 right now if you just kept picking them dogs. Well, I tell you, the underdogs have had their way. They've had a lot of bite in the NFL. And we'll be right back to finish talking about those Monday night games and Get ready for next week here in the NFL. How's your fantasy league going, Nick? Yeah. I have officially been eliminated from our work league playoff. Understood. It's because of all these daggum hurt quarterbacks that'll hurt you. But we'll be right back here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. <laughs> Hi, this is Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar and Major League player. You're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. want to thank Tim Brando for being very gracious with his time. Tim Brando of Fox Sports, always very opinionated and always has a, a lot of insight. And we were talking about the insight of the NFL last night, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, the Miami Dolphins, that's my team, came up short last night against Tennessee, the Titans. And I was glad that the Titans won because you look and you see Eric Guerra from McGill Tulin. He comes an undrafted free agent, had some trouble handling the punt last night and fumbled the ball away and I was glad that you weren't able to put that on his back as a reason for the Titans losing the game. Also great to see Roger McCreary out there playing for the Tennessee Titans. And you, you just look, 2-5-1 is everywhere. And I know that, you know, Eric Guerra, he made it to the NFL the hard way. Undrafted free agent. Coming from the Raging Cajuns in Louisiana and decides to – find a way to, to to pick the correct team in the offseason to go participate with. And you look at his opportunity that he's taken the best and the most of, couldn't be happier for him. And Roger McCreary goes out and has seven tackles last night. So that part was a lot of fun. And Eric still had four returns for 30 yards. And, yeah, again, an undrafted free agent, Playing on Monday night football. Got to be a dream come true in Miami. Beautiful weather. The Titans defeat the Dolphins. The Titans now 5-8. and eight, The Dolphins 9-4. and four. I like Will Levis too, man. He's a gamer. He, he he'll, got it he'll, done. Hit, he'll throw a pick and then hit Sticky and force a fumble and, and get it right back. 
no doubt about it in our number two of the final drive locked on the sec chris gordy will be joining us to give his thoughts and takes on jay daniels coming away with that heisman trophy and the odds of next year's heisman trophy also belonging in the sec our number two of the final drive Corey labounty and nick wiggins coming up The Sound of Mobile presents for the win. The final drive. No, they didn't. Oh my gracious! Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Dick Wiggins. For the win. Yes. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable! Welcome to our number two of the final drive. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you here on WNSP 105.5. Want to thank everybody for having us locked in on this Tuesday afternoon. And don't forget, coming up at 5 o'clock, we have our Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner joining us this evening and you can also join us on the phone lines 251-694-1055 or you can comment in our free sound of mobile app that's yeah, a help, help free me app. complete my new york times daily word puzzle i'm down to my last strike so I don't want to get a and, and see a fail. you can jump in the app and help our guy Triple G Nick Wiggins out. He posted the words on there that he needs help on. So if you're a, a man uh, that has a great mind and you can think help quicker than Nick that Wiggins, doesn't. yeah, help one that doesn't. There, there you go, help a brother out with Nick Wiggins. Triple G needs some help there. You can go and see what he needs help on on our WNSP Sound of Mobile app. And we always. Love talking to our next guest, Chris Gordy. He has joined us all season long here, host of Locked On, the SEC. And it's been a, a great postseason for the SEC with awards. And the biggest college football award went to another SEC member, and that being one Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman Trophy what are your thoughts about that, Chris Gordy? I mean, it's the third overall LSU Bayou Bengal Tiger winning a Heisman Award, but Jay Daniels put up video game numbers all year long. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty surreal. I mean, um, you know, you just talk about the history of the SEC and, you know, how monumental it is where I think it's, what, five of the last six winners from the conference uh, you go back to 2006, I think the SEC's had nine winners in that span, whereas the Big Ten has only had one. So, you know, it just it's pretty outstanding because um, it means the, the best players are playing in the SEC. And so now you're going to bring in Texas and Oklahoma. And, oh, by the way, Oklahoma's had some Heisman winners in that stretch. So, you know, you're talking about more SEC dominance for years to come of, you know, this award will probably stay in the SEC for the foreseeable future. But, um, you know, I was at the Superdome January 2012 when LSU lost Alabama in the national championship 21 nothing, And, you know, they didn't cross the 50-yard line. And, you know, Jordan Jefferson averaged, you know, for like 
90 yards passing a game for LSU that year. Uh, Jared Lee and, you know, the, the LSU quarterback play just it had regressed so much from the days of Rohan Davey and Matt Mock and even, you know, the year Matt Flynn played and Jamarcus Russell. And they, they went into this doldrums of, you know, Les Miles wanted to run the football first and foremost, but it just felt like, God, like every year LSU had subpar quarterback play. And if you had told me that night in January 2012 that, hey, you know, in the next 11 years, LSU's going to have two Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, I would have called you, you know, certifiably insane. So, you know, kudos to LSU. They, they've come into the 21st century and realized what it takes for a, uh, you know, for to have a, a quarterback of this of this caliber, but you know, also to the Alabamas. I mean, it's so they saved it some convincing to go from the game manager of Greg McElroy and AJ McCarron to you know, getting the Tua's and the Bryce Young's and really, you know, advancing into the 21st century. So, yeah, it's it's big for LSU. I know Brian Kelly's going to use it to uh, his advantage when it comes to recruiting and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's – I don't know if we would look back at Jaden this year and say there was, you know, two or three particular Heisman moments, but really just his numbers overall. And you look at LSU getting a nine wins – I think it's easy to say if they didn't have Jaden Daniels on this team, you know, this this might be a 6-6 six and six LSU team because of how bad the defense was. Yeah, they really struggled to stop people, Chris. And I know that us football junkies, it doesn't matter whether it's high school, college, pro, but last night during the Monday night football game, they kind of snuck us a little sneak peek as to what's going to be going on in the Southeastern Conference in 2024. October 19, 2024, they announced Georgia playing at Texas. November 23rd, 2024, they announced Alabama at Oklahoma. And the full release will be in a special SEC Network program tomorrow at 6 o'clock p.m. But your thoughts on this Alabama-Oklahoma matchup. Oklahoma in late November, that's cold football for the Crimson Tide, something that I know they probably aren't used to seeing snow in November. Yeah, no doubt. It's, um, you know, it's it, it's so weird because we've we've had, you know, we've known the opponents since, you know, earlier uh, earlier in the year, right? We've known who, who the SEC is going to play next year. And whether you're home or away, you just don't know the dates. And so – yeah, it's going to be interesting to finally get those things figured out and uh, get a better idea of, you know, when the road trips are going to be. But, yeah, you, you mentioned SEC, you know, ESPN leaked leak some of those out last night. I mean, I think it's vitally important just because you're adding Texas and Oklahoma to the schedule. You're going to have a lot of fan bases on both sides that want to make trips they've never been on before. You know, you, Texas is, you know, Texas fans – are excited about, you know, playing new opponents. And and the same thing with, with SEC fans who've never been to Austin or never been to Norman, Oklahoma. So, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's funny because I had a friend say, you know, what's the big deal? We already know the opponents. All we're doing is getting the dates. But, yeah, that matters. I mean, it matters if you've got to go, you know, back-to-back road trips in tough environments. It matters if you get, uh, you know, three straight games at home or where the bye week falls. So, all that's important. So, um, but but it is going to be fascinating. I was looking at some of the the opponents uh, on different teams' schedules, and go look at Ole Miss's schedule next year. I, you know, the last forty eight hours, Ole Miss has been getting a ton of good news. They're getting a ton of players coming back for another season. Uh, whether it's you know Caden Priest scoring their tight end, whether it's you know, obvious 
obviously uh, Jackson Dart, the rumblings are out there that he's coming back. You know, Lane Kiffin already intimated that. Uh, you know, some of their offensive linemen, some of their defensive linemen, Jared Ivey announced he's coming back. So Ole Miss is bringing so many pieces back from a 10-win team. And you look at their schedule next year, they get Georgia, but they avoid Alabama. They avoid A&M. Um, you know, Ole Miss has got a favorable schedule next year. So it's just, um, you know, I'm looking at it right, right now and saying, like, that might be at least a 10-win 10, 10 team again for Ole Miss next year. And if it is, they're making the playoff. So, you know, it, it, as fun and as exciting it is, it is. Not all SEC schedules are created equal, and you're going to have some people who are going to have more favorable schedules than others. I know that you had the opportunity this past week to sit down with Georgia tight end Brock Bowers, and I know I had Brock Bowers on my Heisman ballot before he got injured, and I I really do believe he would have gotten an opportunity to go to New York and be uh, presented with an opportunity for that award had he not gotten hurt with that ankle injury, but Anything interesting that you found out about Brock Bowers and him being able to to recover from that ankle injury? Did he say he was what percentage he was at when he played Alabama in the SEC championship game? Yeah, I mean he he won. He said you know he he kind of listened to the doctors, but he put in the work and everything that he had to do to to get back from the injury and and, and recover. And, and and obviously, look, the tightrope surgery is normally a several week you know, process of having the surgery and the recovery. And he was able to get back in less than a month. I mean, it, it's just absolutely insane how quickly he was able to get back. But it was clear as day. I mean, we watched the SEC championship. Both him and Lad McConkey were not 100%. Um, you know, there was that play where they got the ball. I think it was the first half. They get the ball in, in Brock's hands, and he's in open space. And we're so used to seeing him turn on the Jets and go. And, you know, one of the Alabama DBs just catches him and tackles him. I mean, that, that right there was the moment where I went, yeah, the, he is not 100% yet. And he told me, you know, that's par for the course with the recovery of, of an injury like this, that it just takes time. But, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those big what-ifs for Georgia fans. You know, all the, all the targets they gave McConkey and, and Brock Bowers, not at 100%, you know, did that hurt them? Would they have been more apt to go to guys like Robert Thomas or Dominic Lovett or whoever, you know, guys who might have been healthier and and, uh, and get them more involved in the offense, give them the targets if, if their key players weren't 100%. But I will say this for Brock. I mean, he's he's much better with the media and interviews now than he was a year ago. And, uh, you know, okay, he's, he didn't finish as a Heisman finalist, but he did finish as a, as a Lombardi Award finalist two years in a row, uh, first player ever to win the Mackey Award twice, you know, going to the best tight end. So, uh, and then some of the mock drafts I've been looking at have him going as high as fourth overall in, in this year's, in this upcoming NFL draft. So, look, nobody's going to cry for Brock Bowers. He's about to become a rich, rich man and uh, have a, have a, what's going to be a lengthy NFL career. So, uh, you know, best of luck to him. Did he ever tip his cap to you as to whether he was going to sit out and forego? the bowl game or did he did he say look i just want to go ahead and, and be with my brethren and and have a chance to whoop up on florida state you know it's funny a year ago at this time at the lombardi awards i got to interview will will anderson and you know he was playing coy at the time just saying he he hadn't made a decision yet on his future we all knew he was going to go pro right i mean he was a lot to be a top five pick but you know he told me then that he was playing to play in the bowl game in the sugar bowl and i just thought it was I thought it was bull. I thought he was, you know, just BS and saying what he needed to say. And lo and behold, you know, Will Anderson and Bryce Young both played in the Sugar Bowl. So, um, 
you know, thought that that was pretty pretty outstanding on their part. But, yeah, Brock talked as if he's playing. So, we'll see. I just think with the injury, it might be better to, uh, you know, to, to, to keep him out of that, let him uh, get to rehab, let him get healthy and get ready for the combine and, and, and his pro day and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but we'll see. I mean, some, sometimes these kids, if they want to play, and, it, and this is a big game. I mean, let's not put anything past it. It is Florida State who is trying to finish an undefeated season. They would love nothing more than to beat Georgia. And I know Georgia's going to have a couple of opt-outs, but they would love to have some of their big-time playmakers in there. One of the big-time moves here in college football, not necessarily in the SEC, but in your neck of the woods in the Houston, Texas area was – the fact that Tulane lost their head coach and now coach Willie Fritz is going to be the head coach at Houston. What are your thoughts on his introductory press conference? Did he win the crowd? Yeah, he's uh, he's a tremendous guy. You can see, you know, how, how he's able to recruit well and, and how he's been able to be such a successful coach for so long. But what's crazy is, you know, every stop he's had, he's been successful, but He's never done it here at the Power Five level of, of big-time program. And, you know, Houston is, is not far removed from being a group of five, but this was their first year in the Big 12, and they fancy themselves, you know, sitting at the big kids' table now, and uh, they, they want to take that next step. And so it's kind of a both, you know, Houston wants to prove that they belong in the Big 12 and they're ready for the big stage. And on the, at the same realm, Willie Fritz is like, look, I've won at Tulane, I've won at Sam Houston State, I've won at all these stops. I want to prove that that I can win at the big at the next level too. So it's going to be a fascinating journey. But um, you know, look, I, I I think the guy's a tremendous head, head coach. For him to do what he did at Tulane of all places, which was considered a graveyard, a football graveyard by a lot of people for many years, uh, I think he's going to do a good job. And look, the the Big Twelve gets easier, right? Colorado and Dion are coming in, but you lose Texas and Oklahoma, and so the path gets a little bit easier there uh, if you try, you know, trying to win the Big Twelve. Absolutely, it does. And also want to get your thoughts on the Houston Texans. And to me, this point in time, regardless of how disappointing their loss was this past Sunday to the Jets, you, you have to consider D'Amico Ryans as really one of, if not the coach of the year in the NFL. And the great job that he's done. I know C.J. Stroud with an injury now, and you're, you're starting to see more and more injuries to the NFL starting quarterbacks, unfortunately. But where the Houston, the, the Texans were at this time last year versus where they are now, I know it, it has to go back to their leader in D'Amico Ryans. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they're in a much better spot. Obviously, they are ahead of schedule, and a big reason that has been C.J. Stroud, the, the rookie out of Ohio State, has been tremendous. But the only issue that's happening here right now is, you know, we kind of were penciling them in as, oh, this is a playoff team and all this, and now they're having to overcome some adversity. You know, they, they go and lay an egg this past week up there in New York against the Jets, and now C.J. Stroud is in concussion protocol, and it sounded like he may not play this weekend against the Titans. So if that's the case and they got to play Davis Mills, I just, you know, it's going to be hard for me to see the, the Texans winning that one because, you know, Davis Mills is very limited, and they got a lot of injuries. So, um, you know, it, it's – look, everybody loves D'Amico. They think he's doing a fantastic job, and, and absolutely this team is ahead of schedule. But it would just be really disappointing with the start they got out to. What were they, 7-5? and five? And, you know, if they lose three of these last four down the stretch and miss the playoffs, 
it'll just be a big disappointment for a lot of people who, you know, like we said, we were kind of penciling them in as as a, as a playoff contender. And, and C.J. Stroud is not just offensive rookie of the year, but, but a potential MVP. Uh, it would just be a, a real, you know, needle in the balloon. Chris Cordy, our guest this afternoon on the final drive. And, Chris, I'll switch gears back to the Southeastern Conference and especially the Georgia Bulldogs. When you look at, from a recruiting standpoint, the thought process of five-star verbal commit Dylan Rayola possibly flipping over to Nebraska. I know when you look at Carson Beck, we think that he'll probably be coming back, but his backup, he decides to transfer and portal out. What would it mean to, to Kirby Smart and them to lose someone that they had kind of been after and heaven, heavy and hot on and Dylan Rayola to Nebraska? Yeah, we're, we're actually going to talk about this on my show tomorrow, Locked on SEC. We're going to have Brian Smith, our recruiting insider, on to talk about it. And, you know, Brian pointed out to me, I didn't realize, you know, that the other quarterback Georgia signed in this class is no is no schlub. I mean, he's like, he's a four-star uh, Puglis or Puglia, something like that. He's from Connecticut. And uh, apparently the kid made a quote. Somebody asked him about, you know, oh, are you scared off if Dylan Rayola is in this class? And he said, no, bring it on. I'm going to beat him out. I mean, and you love hearing that kind of attitude from some kids. But point being, like, that might be the kid that, that Georgia wants after all anyway. And and the whole Rayola thing, you know, I've had some people tell me they think he's maybe a little bit overrated. Like, not saying he's not, he's not great, but, you know, maybe a little bit more hype than, uh, you know, than, than, than actual on the field. So we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, look, Steve, Steve Wolfong's been doing this thing for a long time. And, when he says something, I tend to believe it. And when he changes his crystal ball from Georgia to Nebraska, look, where there's smoke, there's fire. So, um, you know, it, it makes sense. Like, I said from the get-go, Rayola, like, he's a legacy. His dad played in Nebraska. His uncle is a the coach there. Like, why would he not go there and try to be the guy? I mean, Matt Rule is looking for the guy to turn that program around and get them back on track. And so it would make a lot of sense to me. But, look, it would be a big, it'd be a big blow for Georgia's recruiting class. But they're already number one overall, right? I mean, you lose you lose that kid, it stings. But Georgia's going to be fine. I mean, right now it, it projects Carson Beck's coming back for another year, and you lose Brock Vandergriff. He transfers to Kentucky. We assume he's going to win that starting job. But Gunnar Stockton was another big-time quarterback that came in a year ago and is sitting and waiting his turn. So, you know, if they lose Rayola, I, I think Georgia's still going to be just fine over these next couple of years. Speaking of Georgia being fine from a recruiting standpoint, my last question for you. I know shockwaves here in the state of Alabama, especially here locally, Ryan Williams, the five-star wide receiver out of Saraland High School, reclassifying to 2024, already adding to a, a deep and great Alabama verbal signing class. And you look at all those early enrollees here within the next two weeks as they finish up their high school exams, they'll be finishing high school exams and getting ready to jump right into college football practice. And that's part of the benefit of enrolling early now as a college freshman. Yeah, I was, I think I was told by somebody that he'll, 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 uh, you know, reclassify, but he'll still be, what, in the February class. And so, you know, he would come after next semester. Right. So That's he'd, be, he'd be an Alabama student next year. He just wouldn't be there in this, this early signing period part. But um, to me, it's always mind-blowing, right? I mean, we go back. We all think back to our senior years of high school. <laughs> I mean, the memories you make and all that kind of stuff. And I get it. You know, these kids, the mission is 
get to campus and be a star and get NIL money and all that. But, like, sometimes I, I just want to tell these kids, like, pump the brakes. Enjoy your senior year. Enjoy the, the times and the friends you'll never see again and that sort of thing. It's always just so weird to me. Well, I got enough credit hours. Let me just reclassify it and jump into school early. But, um, yeah, look, he's the real deal. Everything I've heard from Sarah Land, like, you know, over 5,000 all-purpose yards and, uh, he's a guy that can definitely, you know, look, he may be catching passes from Jalen Milrow next season, um, you know, almost out of the gates. We know Bama's been looking for that alpha receiver that they've kind of been missing ever since they lost, uh, you know, Jamison Williams and John Mechie. And, and this kid could be that guy if he, if he lives up to the hype. Absolutely. And, Chris, how can people follow all of your great coverage and see that Brock Bowers interview that you were able to conduct and all of your other great interviews and coverage of everything that is the SEC? Yeah, just search uh, Locked on SEC wherever you get your podcast. Uh, I encourage you guys to go to YouTube and subscribe to Locked on SEC. You'll see all our videos up there. And uh, some good content there today, talking about some of the newcomers coming to the SEC where uh, – uh, Arkansas goes into Boise State and takes their quarterback, prototypical Bobby Petrino quarterback. Uh, he's a runner and a passer, so a big-time get for them. And then Missouri goes into Georgia Southern and gets their next stud running back to follow in the footsteps of Cody Schrader. So a lot of new additions through the portal and a lot of new faces we're going to get to know very quickly in the SEC next year. Chris Gordy, can't thank you enough for your time. And as always, look forward to talking to you again next week. Absolutely. Thanks, fellas. Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins will be right back. Hi, this is Juan Pierre, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. back to the final drive in just a few minutes we'll be chatting with Sarah Lanzone, Ryan Williams about his reclassification Corey there's been a, a news story going around that I want to run by you get your thoughts on yeah Panera Bread you know of the place I, I've had a sandwich or two alright so they got this new thing called charged lemonade and apparently it's like putting people in the hospital because of how much caffeine is charged into this lemonade. And now they have these waivers up in the Panera Breads about, uh, I guess, the dangers of it. I don't know, but apparently they're getting sued because a 46-year-old actually died by drinking this lemonade and they're blaming... Uh, Panera and the lemonade. I mean, you can go get this now, but apparently, like, apparently it's like you know just crazy. I don't know what it tastes like, but do you do you drink Red Bulls at all? I don't. I don't do energy drinks. No when energy I was a drinks. young kid, uh, a girl I knew that was older than me, she had like the shakes, and she said that she drank an energy drink every day, like that was like her favorite drink. She like had weird like shaking syndrome so that that like just scared me off energy drinks the rest of my life but i know some people be knocking back these like bang energy drinks and you know they got like the sour patch kid flavor now the skittles flavor i can't do all that panera just water at the lawsuit yeah careful with the panera bread if your kid goes to get the lemonade 
Make sure they get the regular lemonade, <laughs> not, not the, the charged, charged lemonade. Or you don't know what the heck's going to happen. Well, I, I tell you what, coming up next, we're scheduled to be joined by Ryan Williams. He was an addition to the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star football game that will be in Hattiesburg, Mississippi on this coming Saturday. So hopefully Ryan will be able to, to join us. If not, we certainly understand with the busy schedule that they're keeping to. And if not, we'll just keep you up to date with everything that's going on. We'll talk Alabama and the fail room as well if Ryan Williams is not able to join us. But scheduled to join us next is Mr. Hollywood Ryan Williams. You're listening to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you this afternoon. I want to thank Chris Gordy and Tim Brando for joining us earlier this afternoon on the final drive. And Again, our phone lines, 251-694-1055 is how you can join us, 251-694-1055. Or you can correspond with us here in this WNSP Sound of Mobile app. And for those that aren't familiar with the way that Bryant-Denny Stadium is set up, as this past week I was just walking around the entire stadium at Bryant-Denny wanting to get a feel for the locker rooms and the, the, the hallways and all the pictures and banners that are posted, not having a chance to to really see that as a common fan. I know that I did have a chance to see our next guest here on the final drive. Mr. Football, Ryan Williams, joins us here on the final drive. Hollywood, how's everything going, my brother? What's up? How you doing? I'm good. Man, I'm absolutely blessed by the best. First and foremost, let me say congratulations on your reclassification announcement yesterday. And I know that that was a decision that goes back to your hard work on the field, off the field. And in the classroom, you've just been working tremendously hard to put yourself in a situation to where you can walk across that stage in 2024. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, like you said, uh, I had to put a lot of hard, hard work to uh, get where I am. And uh, I'm glad my family was behind me completely in the decision. And I'm glad my Spartan family was also behind me. So, yeah, it was definitely a tough decision, but uh, I'm glad it got done. Well, Ryan, the great news that you did have on top of that yesterday also, Coach Jeff Kelly was able to present your All-American jersey to you playing in the All-America game Under Armour style and also having an opportunity to join the Alabama-Mississippi roster and play for one Ben Blackman. I know that you have to be excited to suit it up one more time from a high school standpoint and play against the state of Mississippi. Yeah, I'm definitely very excited, especially to play with a bunch of uh, a, a bunch of great guys on this team that I played against. So it, it's definitely exciting, and uh, I'm ready for us to go smack the state of Mississippi. I love it. Uh, a lot of Alabama pride for you there. And let me ask you this, Ryan: When you go back and and now that you've had a chance to to kind of reflect on what it meant two years ago 
to to win a state champion well a year ago to win a state championship and and to, to come up just a little bit short uh this year i know that you loved your teammates you love the fact and people forget hollywood let everybody know how old you are people forget about what your age truly is yeah i'm, I'm definitely just 16 man just <laughs> i'm a young 16 16 years old Hollywood but I tell you what the motor that you have is unbelievable let's talk about that first play that you had from KJ Lacey what did it mean for you and how electric was it for you to score on that first touchdown pass from KJ knowing that that was going to be the dialed up play by Jeff Kelly and having that opportunity to catch that first touchdown uh, it definitely, uh, going into the game, we knew we wanted to come out fast on offense. So we, we came out with the big guns early, and uh, I knew KJ was going to put the ball where it needed to be. I just knew I had to go get it. So it definitely, it, it was it was exciting, especially in Brian Denny Stadium. Yeah, it, and it was electric, and I could see you coming off the sidelines, feeling the electricity, basically almost having a chance to high-five not only Steve Sarkeesian, but, you, you know, you have Alabama's wide receivers coach there. You have Hugh Freeze there. You have coach that, that used to play quarterback at UAB and Trent Dilfer. So all those coaches you ran by off of that first electric touchdown and then when you look at opening up the second half I don't know what coach Kelly said to you guys but you knew exactly what to do with the football once you caught it to begin the second half how much fun was that for you as a returner to take one to the house as well that was also really fun I just knew I was going in my high school career with no kick returns because don't nobody want to kick it to me so uh, <laughs> coming out of the half I was like man I gotta go get it I don't care what the ball at I'm going to get it and they uh, kicked it. It was it was in front, it was to my teammate Sante, and I was like, I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> and luckily, he didn't hit stick me out the air or nothing. And uh, I caught it, and I knew I was gonna get around that right edge and uh, get the work. Eleven catches, two hundred and thirty-two yards, two receiving touchdowns, four carries, four yards, one touchdown, and that electric eighty-six yard touchdown return. Super seven, class six A receiving yards record, and to be able to do it in Bryant-Denny Stadium. A year ago, you were able to do it at Jordan-Hare Stadium. And in the 2022 game, you had seven catches for 84 yards and a touchdown and 13 carries for 184 yards and three touchdowns. Eight touchdowns in two state championship games. I know that's a, a tribute to not only the play calling, but your offensive linemen and your teammates who make it all possible for you. Yeah, definitely. Like like I always say, I've I've always been a proud uh proud teammate and honored to play with the teammates that I have. And my play caller, Coach Kelly, he he's great at what he does. He knows how to get his playmakers the ball uh, in any situation. So I I'm, I'm definitely very proud and honored to uh, be in that situation. How much fun was it knowing that across on the offensive side of the ball for Clay Chalkfield, you had Mbakwe, who's also uh, – he's verbally committed to the University of Alabama. I know you guys have, have done a lot of talking here lately and don't know how much talking you guys were able to do during the game as defensively he came onto the field at the end of the game. But the conversations that you guys have, I know that you were in Tuscaloosa this past weekend after the Super 7 enjoying the company of Coach Saban, but talk about what it, it meant to, 
to be able to see a competitor like Mbakwe and to play against someone who's going to be putting on the Alabama Crimson and White here pretty soon? Uh, it definitely meant a lot because, you know, I mean, playing, playing throughout the season, I mean, you have good games, all right games. But this was like, uh, I guess you could say, a big game. A lot of people had this game circled. So going into the game, I knew it was going to be a fun one. And uh, me and him talked about it. Like, we just wanted to make sure we put on a show for uh, to show our future fans what they what they going to get uh, in the next coming years. So that was definitely something me and him talked about. But like you said, it wasn't much talking between me and him during the game. Because, you know, we had to do what we had to do. So, and, yeah. and Hollywood, I, I know that, you know, you're going to have – the second signing period it will be your official signing date. And it just so happens signing date falls on your birthday. And I know that has to be very special for you turning 17 at that point in time and making that decision in February. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely means a lot to me because uh, when my dad was in the hospital, he signed uh, basically on my birthday. So I, that, that was definitely something that I wanted to do just to like recreate those moments. Talk about what your your quarterback, K.J. Lacey, meant to you and how much fun it's been receiving the football from him and having an opportunity to play for Coach Jeff Kelly and the Saraland Spartans fans. I saw you before the game give some of your gloves away. I saw you at halftime come out of the locker room, give away some of your gloves to the young kids who were standing on the gate there at Bryant-Denny Stadium. So talk about what it means to you not only to play for Coach Kelly, but for Saraland and the memories that you're going to have taken with you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've been a Spartan my whole life, so I have a, a, a unbelievable amount of memories with just Spartan family, and uh, they always have a special place in my heart. I love the Sarah community because, they've, like I said in my, um, in my announcement, they've never showed me anything that so I love, so I, I always have love for the Spartan family. That's why I do, I do, like you said, giving away my gloves, my sleeve. It don't matter because I know – uh, for kids, sometimes whenever you see, I guess you could say your idol or someone you look up to, and like just like small stuff like that could carry on for the rest of your life. So uh, just knowing that, like I try to do my best to give back to the community that gave to me. So yeah, I definitely love the Spartan community, and uh, like you said, playing with uh, KJ like quarterback. I mean, it's a lot of great receivers out, uh, in the country that don't have a efficient quarterback, and I just so happen to be lucky enough to have one. And I, it, was, it was definitely an honor playing with him. I mean, he's a great, great quarterback. I know he's going to do a lot of and in the rest of his uh, career. And I, I was just happy to play with him. And I'm always on his team, no matter what. Ryan Hollywood Williams. Uh, Ryan Hollywood Williams, our guest here on the final drive. And a couple of last questions for you so you can go ahead and enjoy the rest of your Alabama-Mississippi All-Star festivities. I know the, the recruiting game continues to heat up as evident as how many coaches we saw on the sidelines at, at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Talk about the, the recruiting process and, and what it's going to mean for you these last couple of months. Uh, it's definitely uh, these last couple of months. Me and my family are really enjoying it because we know the recruiting process is uh, coming to an end. So we're really just trying to enjoy it. But, you know, it, it does start to heat up towards the end. So we're just trying to enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, I go out with a bang. Well, I tell you, you went out with the bang the last couple of years, and I know you guys came up a couple of yards short. But you know what? You, you'll never – 
come up short in the fact of everything that you gave, not only to the Spartans, but every single fan, including those who cover you in high school football here. I know WNSP, we had the opportunity to do your games. Michael Bronner and Brian Gennard, they loved covering you in the Saraland Spartans. And I know it's it's been a tremendous privilege for myself to watch you do what you did every single Friday night, to do it with a smile on your face, to have so much fun playing the game. People lose sight that you're just a 16-year-old young man who is doing what he loves to do and using God's gift and the abilities. And look forward for you putting on not only for Sarah Land, but for the state of Alabama taking on Mississippi this Saturday in Hattiesburg. And like you said, go ahead and smack Mississippi upside their head. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Make sure y'all tune in. I promise to put on the show. You got Ryan Hollywood Williams joining us this afternoon on the final drive again. Give him his kudos to where you look at what he was able to accomplish in his football career in Saraland. The first ever sophomore in the state of Alabama to win Mr. Football. And then you look at him again ending his Saraland Spartan career with another four touchdowns. You're not going to find a much better wide receiver than what we've been able to witness here the last three years in Sarah Land and Spartan Nation. Ryan Hollywood Williams, can't thank him enough for joining us here on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you. And want to thank Ryan Hollywood Williams for taking time out of his Alabama-Mississippi schedule. He just joined that team, was added to that roster today, and he already is a Under Armour All-American and will be playing in that game as well. And you, you just look at his five-star abilities and being 16 years old, turning 17 on National Signing Day in February, Nick, you, you don't get a chance to see too many electric and elite players like that. That's right. Around this area. I mean, most people, their dreams are to play on Saturdays. But, I mean, for this guy, Saturdays are just an expectation at this point. Now your your dreams are to be one of the top picks in the NFL draft when the time comes around. And, you know, if he goes to Alabama, if he goes to Auburn, wherever it is that he ends up, I know that uh, he's going to put in the work to make all that happen. And, I mean, he has it all at his fingertips. So He really does. And... Again, I know that in the high school football ranks, a, a lot is going on, not only with the Super 7 State Championships. North-South game will be played this Friday at 2 o'clock p.m. at Hancock-Whitney Stadium, so you'll get a chance to see maybe 10 or 11 local players on the southern part of that roster. And Kirk Johnson from Montgomery Catholic, they had a perfect record 
at Montgomery Catholic winning the state championship. He'll be the head coach, and Zach Golson and Antonio Coleman will be on his staff. And like I said, 11 or 12 local players playing on the south part of that north-south roster. 2 o'clock p.m., Hancock-Whitney Stadium this Friday. Terry Curtis and I will be on the call on the AHSAA radio network along with NFHS broadcast as well. And then Saturday, Ryan mentioned it, we'll have the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star football game coming to you from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And once again, that game means a lot to both of these states and the competitiveness that is there. And like Ryan opened up our interview, wants to smack Mississippi upside the head. So I'm hoping that Mississippi A will either kick to him or Ben Blackman will call his number because one of the signal callers, signal callers for the state of Alabama will be Jared Hollins from MGM. So wouldn't you love to see the game open up with Jared Hollins connected with Ryan Hollywood Williams? And look, Jared Hollins, he throws a nice deep ball. So. Yes, he does. And it, it can work. Hey, listen, I, I'm going to go ahead and predict it right now. I'm going to say on this Tuesday afternoon, I'll be calling that Saturday afternoon game with Zach Golson on the AHSA radio network and NFHS as well, that you'll see that shot taken. Jared Hollins to Ryan Hollywood Williams. I think that they're going to hook up for a touchdown, and I, I just feel it that that connection will be very special. It kind of reminds you, if you remember back to the Senior Bowl a few years ago, I think it was Stan White connecting to Kevin Lee. It was the Auburn to Alabama connection, if I'm not mistaken. But it's one of those special moments that I would love to see from a historic standpoint to see our, our Mobile, Alabama connections play very well in that Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. For sure, man. I hope they all have a great game and they blow all the scouts away. How does it – I mean, this is essentially an all-star game, so are they, you know, f are we switching quarterbacks? Yes, you do. Half you only have two quarterbacks okay, so available. It's a halftime switch. So, no, it's just kind of a field switch oh, to okay. where Coach Ben Blackman of Enterprise, formerly of Spanish Ford and Gulf Shores, will make that call as to who his starting quarterback will be and how he wants to rotate them. So it'll be totally up to Ben Blackman and that staff how they want to rotate those quarterbacks in. But I know one thing, you, you, you know, I don't have to be Ben Blackman to know I need to find Ryan Williams the football in the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. And somebody else who's going to be finding the football for Notre Dame will be Riley Leonard. Yeah, that's big time right there, man. Big Riley stuff. Leonard going to Notre Dame. We saw him a few weeks ago enter that transfer portal, and he'll be – Go ahead and, and becoming part of the Fighting Irish mystique there, and I put like your dukes it. up. You go into it. You're going to a bigger brand. You know, way uh, bigger legacy yep. in football. You know, compared to Duke, and you know the playoff is getting expanded, and odds are Notre Dame is probably going to be in there. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I think that their quarterback this year was pretty good, Hartman. But, look, Riley Leonard, I mean, he's on all the NFL draft boards. So, I mean, it could work, man. It could work. I mean, they're definitely going to finish in the top 12, I would predict. But I think it'll be good. And now, all of a sudden, you know, our own local guy who is already – I mean, I can't think of a bigger name Duke football player than Riley Leonard. 
So if you can put Duke on the map as a football program, yeah, he did that. Then what can you do for you know a team with the prestige and legacy of a Notre Dame? So I'm excited to see how it all pans out. I, I hope that too. he can stay healthy through the whole thing. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. If he can stay healthy through his entire season next year at Notre Dame, you mentioned who Notre Dame opens up with, and that's against Coach Elko. And he's the new coach of the Texas A&M Aggies. And Riley Leonard's former coach at Duke. So that in and of itself is a lot of intrigue. But congratulations to Riley. Want to see him do well. And at Hoover High School, you know the football tradition there? Sure. Their head coach, Wade Waltrip, has resigned after two seasons, 16-9. and in two seasons, it's two seasons long enough for you to be successful in a high school football program. Well, apparently not if you're a Hoover Buck because they haven't been able to get over that hump. So Hoover High School will be looking for a new head football coach. Wade Waltrip resigned. Scott Rouse here from Baldwin County. He's the new head coach at Calera in Birmingham. So congratulations to Coach Scott Rouse. He did a great job at his time with Baldwin County, but now he's the new head coach at Calera. So some openings and some feelings of positions there in high school football. And coming up next, we will have our Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner scheduled to be in the building here in WNSP 105.5. But want to thank Tim Brando. Chris Gordy, Ryan Hollywood-Williams. If you missed any of those interviews, make sure you listen to us on Spotify. You can go back and listen to that as well. We'll be right back for our number three coming up here on WNSP. Huddle up. It's time for Chavis Furniture's Talking Football. Stay with us as Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner discuss Alabama, Auburn, South Alabama, the SEC, and college football around the country. Brought to you by Bayou Fasteners and Clutch and Powertrain. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the Sound of Mobile app. Welcome to the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Corey LaBounty along with Scott Hunter. Tracy Turner hopefully will be joining us here in just a short bit. Nick Wiggins doing a great job as always joining us as well. And Scott, we are a week removed from the decision to go ahead and get Alabama in to the college football playoffs. And they're coming in playing the Michigan Wolverines one versus two. So we have a couple of of weeks before that game will kick off on January 1. And in between now and then, what you're looking at from an Alabama and Auburn standpoint is first and foremost during this time, you're looking at the recruiting process that starts. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's very important. His signing day is less than a couple of weeks ago away. And also you're looking at the fact that the transfer portal has opened to where Alabama has only had a couple of guys to to enter the transfer portal. And the biggest name in Alabama's transfer portal is wide receiver Ja'Cory Brooks. Yeah, um, and I, I, I hate that because everybody remembers the great catch he made against Auburn uh, two years ago in 21. Uh, Bryce Young was throwing all the uh, – 
to lead, help Alabama come from behind and win the game. But apparently, <coughs> excuse me, he'd had some uh, shoulder issues throughout this entire season. In some games, he just couldn't go. And, uh, you know, as you will when that happens, considering the quality of the athletes at wide receiver at Alabama, uh, other players stepped up in front of him. And as he got well, he found out uh, he didn't get the playing time and the number of reps and so forth. So uh, I suspect that enters into his decision, um, you know, to go into the portal and, and move on. Well, it, it is. You're exactly right. You remember that that catch that he made against the Auburn Tigers pretty much headlining his freshman year. And also the fact I mentioned recruiting a little bit, but as yesterday's Monday night football game was on with the Giants and you look at the Packers as well, the SEC announces dates for the Alabama at Oklahoma matchup that's going to be taking place in 2024. And wanted to get your thoughts on the fact that Alabama having a chance to visit Norman, Oklahoma on November 23rd, mm. a very cold time mm. for the Crimson Tide moving forward next year. That wouldn't be my ideal date to go to Norman, Oklahoma. Um, having played in those November games in Wisconsin with my Green Bay Packer days, um, Oklahoma, you know, there's nothing, as I say, between Oklahoma and Kansas and Nebraska between it, those three states in Canada, but a barbed wire fence. <laughs> and so you got to be prepared for a pretty chilly one. But then again, the flip side of that, Corey, is I, I'm tired of Chattanooga and who knows who coming into Tuscaloosa the week before the Auburn game, no matter where that game is played, Alabama or Auburn, and having a, a glorified scrimmage, if you want to call it that, and the other team gets a check for a million dollars and so forth. I didn't even go to the Chattanooga game. Deb and, and uh, her friend Bernice went, and I watched it on TV because I could see more and hear more uh, that way and so forth. So I, I wouldn't miss an Oklahoma game, obviously, if it was in Tuscaloosa the week before the Auburn game. And I may go to Norman for that one uh, next year. Uh, God willing, uh, but I, I hate it. It's on November the 23rd. <laughs> it is. a. But then a, again, you know what? Somebody asked me, what hottest game you ever played? Was it, you know, in Birmingham or was it? I said, the hottest game I ever recall, we played the Cleveland Browns in an exhibition game in Tulsa, Oklahoma in August. I mean, there wasn't 30 people left in the stands at the start of the third quarter. <laughs> there, were more, there were more players on the sideline than there were fans in the stands. It, 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 it can be I, like it, that. They called it 95. It was 150. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, Scott, I know that that's one of the games that you'll probably remember as far as the hottest, and this may be very well one of the coldest games because normally in November – you do see, we've had some cold iron bowls, some sleet and some rain. Nah, but nothing it, like that. No, nothing nothing well, like that. maybe that 2000 game, but, you know, generally, right, right. generally when Nebraska and Oklahoma used to play back in the day, you know, yes. there around Thanksgiving time, it was pretty chilly and pretty messy up there. Well, also this week. But I think also Mike Condon called earlier today, and he said the entire schedule for the SEC, every team's date and home and home, Will be released tomorrow. That's at correct. Six p.m. That's correct. Right. At at this time, getting ready tomorrow, right around 
of 45 minutes from now tomorrow we will have that SEC release on every team schedule and their opponent there's been some leaks and the SEC like I said last night on ESPN on the Monday night football was was generous enough to give us a couple of those matchups and one of those big time matchups was Alabama and Oklahoma on November 23rd but also but you know Corey look, look at it this way too from a standpoint of not Alabama fans mm-hmm. but the the viewers and the TV, you know, people that are paying the big money uh, to televise these games, they want a a game every week. So having an Alabama and Oklahoma on November the twenty third, I would assume that's right around or at Thanksgiving, and a lot of people off and at home and so forth, and that'll generate a lot of eyeballs. I keep talking about eyeballs here, and I'm talking about people rating points. And people watching the game, and that's certain. That one certainly uh, will have a lot of eyeballs watching it. Yeah, it, I had to go and kind of fast forward in my calendar here for November twenty third, twenty twenty four. Thanksgiving in twenty twenty four will be November twenty eighth. So that will be the Saturday before Thanksgiving. Before Thanksgiving, okay. yes, that so. before Thanksgiving. So, like you mentioned, Scott, it won't be any ho hum. Just let me get a payday, yeah. And it won't be a walk in the park. It'll be back to back tough games, if nothing else. If the schedule holds up to what it normally is, with the Iron Bowl being that last final and finale yeah. for Alabama and Auburn, if the SEC. You know, we saw them tinker with Auburn and Georgia's schedule because they used to play that game right before the Iron Bowl as well right. for yeah. Auburn. And I was kind of shocked when the SEC allowed that to happen with Auburn and Georgia switching the times that they normally play that game. But as long as it still gets played, that's all that does matter. And, of course, you know, you can give us a call here on the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us for sure. And we would love for you to give us a call and talk to Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner, who will be joining us here on the phone. And want to welcome Tracy in to this afternoon or this evening's Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. I know you have some business to take care of on the road there, Tracy, but always great to catch up with you on the Tuesday afternoons. I'm doing great, Corey. I'm just uh, trying to leave the Steel City and head back toward South Alabama. Absolutely. Want you to definitely be safe on those journeys. And Scott and I were talking about this time of year to where you have recruiting that takes place that's going to be key for Alabama and Auburn moving forward. We also were talking about the scheduling that was kind of released last night with Alabama having to travel to normal. Norman, Oklahoma, November 23rd, different type of weather there than Alabama's used to playing with on the 23rd of November. But, Tracy, I know you got a chance to to see some future Auburn Tigers this year in the Super 7. One that I saw last Wednesday was Cam Coleman, who recently flipped his commitment from Texas A&M over to Auburn. It's, it's a, a position of need for Hugh Freeze, and Hugh Freeze was also on the sidelines for the Saraland State Championship game versus Clay of Chalkville, and it was great to see Coach Freeze supporting high school football here in the state of Alabama. Yeah, yeah, and uh, unfortunately, you know, I watched some of the Saraland game, and I saw D'Angelo Barber, the uh, 
linebacker from Clay Chalkville, and um, you know he he played a, played an awful good game. I bet he had 15 tackles in that game. But uh, it was amazing to see all of the all of the athletes that are going to all our schools on the field. And you know you talk about that. I think that Auburn at the wide receiver position has gotten a transfer commitment already too from a wide receiver from uh, Georgia State. They're their best wide receiver. So I don't think that Coach Freeze is just going to depend just on those high school, great high schoolers that he's got. I think he's also looking to pick up two or three on the transfer portal, and he's already got one. Yeah, and, and that's huge when you look at it. And one of the things that was huge for Auburn also is the fact that Keontae Scott, the, the great defensive back for the Auburn Tigers, decides that he wants to return to the Plains and and play in his senior year and that's great news for Hugh Freeze and his his coaching staff especially on the defensive side of the football well Corey I think you know we talk about what we don't like about NIL but I think in like his situation that is uh that's one of the things that's a benefit because he can stay and increase his his draft stock, which could be a tremendous, uh, you know, investment, but he yet can still get paid something. So he's not faced with the decision, well, do I stay and basically get nothing like in years past, or do I go ahead and, and try to go pro and see if I get a free agent, you know, da-da-da. Now he can stay and get some NIL money while also in, improving his draft stock. So that's one of the good things about NIL, I think. It really is. 251-694-1055 is how you can call into the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner joining us here on this Tuesday evening. And we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back to continue to talk about the importance of the offseason recruiting that goes on for Alabama and Auburn and some of the recent verbal commits that both Alabama and Auburn have picked up here recently. You're listening to the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday here on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. Welcome back to Chavez Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner joining you here on WNSP 105.5. And Scott, we were talking about Alabama and their ability to to recruit in the offseason. And when you sit and you see Steve Sarkeesian and you see Tommy Reese and you see Coach Wiggins, the Alabama wide receivers coach, all on the sidelines for a high school state championship game and the number of recruits and prospects that were in the 6A state championship game especially – it, it, it becomes very important and imperative. And I know Coach Saban this weekend hosted Drake Kirkpatrick's son yep. at, on an official visit, showing off his Lamborghini and some other things. But it, it's just recruiting has changed. Ferrari. Tremend- yeah, it's Ferrari. <laughs> it, it's changed tremendously 
from the NIL standpoint and now that, you know, the state looking at legislating, bringing in NIL into the state of Alabama. So it, it's just a different time. And I know Coach Saban made sure that he flew out to California to check on five-star prospect quarterback Julian Sayan yes. in California because you look at De Dylan Rayola, the five-star quarterback that has been verbally committed to Georgia, he may flip to Nebraska. So Coach Saban doesn't want to lose valuable five-star assets. So he's going wherever it takes or he needs to be in order to make sure they stay in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I was, I flew up to Huntsville on Friday, my little Sustin, I was talking to somebody at Signature Aviation out at uh, Brooklyn, where I keep, we all keep our, keep the Sussman, said Coach Saban had been in here uh, and, and they were talking to the pilot. You know, he was off to see somebody. And, and I talked to the pilot and he said, hey, so we, the last three days, we've been in five or six different places. You know, he jumps off the jet, goes to see a, a prospect uh, or somebody that's committed and he's back in the jet and we're on to the next place. So, you know, uh, somebody said, man, I wonder if he would retire if he won the national championship this year. I said, well, it doesn't sound like it to me based on what the university pilot told me last week. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Mm. And, 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 Tracy, when you mentioned mm. the Clay Chalkville linebacker, Barbara, who made that final goal line stand, there, there's just tremendous athletes that have been verbally committed to Auburn as well that, that's going to make – Hugh Freeze's year number one probably be a lot more comfortable. Year number two, a lot more comfortable than year number one. Well, look, you know, y'all heard me say this, and it's not he, – he's got to get some more athletes in there. And what I mean by that is people other than just his running backs who can make big plays. Uh, it, it's getting more and more difficult to make long, sustained drives. So you want some big plays, some chump plays, as we heard it talked about. So it shortens that. And he didn't have a lot of those kind of players uh, on the offensive wide receiver side. I, I saw some catches. For example, I saw Colin Lacey, who is still out there, uh, the South Alabama wide receiver that had, from Faith Academy that had 93, I believe, catches this year. You know, he's still going to go somewhere, but – I saw a couple catches he made laying out, and I remember some of the catches against Georgia, three in particular, if the Auburn wide receiver, and if three different ones had made any one of those three catches, they may very well have beaten Georgia. So Coach Freeze knows he's got to get some difference makers at wide receiver. Uh, he's been recruiting those, Perry Thompson, uh, Cam Coleman. Now he's trying to go out and get some experienced guys that have already displayed at the college level they can do it. Uh, but in the end, it'll come down, um, you know, I think he feels okay at center. Uh, they're, they're, the freshman played three games, did well. But uh, he's got to get a couple of three transfers in on the offensive line because he's not at the point that Georgia and Alabama is that he can just reload with his, with his recruits. Which then I say, Corey, have you seen or talked about the number of transfers leaving Georgia? Yeah. We just talked about you mm. You had Dylan Rayola, possibly a five-star verbal commit to flip his commitment. And not only that, the Kirby Smart, he's got so many four- and five-stars. These kids don't want to wait at Georgia. Yeah, I right. think they've got, what, eight or so that are in the portal. And uh, the portal there, they're leaving Georgia. And these are, you know, not guys I think would never have had a chance to play 
but they see that they can go somewhere else and for sure play. So uh, Kirby and Georgia's kind of hit the wall there, and not that their recruiting is not going to be good, but certainly when you get eight or so players that uh, are good players that are leaving, that's that's tough. It it really is. Well, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting because trying to keep a three deep is going to be impossible because if the third deep is a red shirt sophomore or maybe you know even a true sophomore and he knows he's going to have to sit again, but he can transfer to another school and be the guy immediately, you're just going to lose him. Yeah, and so, the flip side of it, that is there may be some players there that uh, you always – there are guys you sign that uh, you got great hopes for, and you, and you think, oh, boy, in three years, this guy will be this, this, and this. And then you look at them, and they just uh, don't develop – for some reason, mentally, physically, emotionally, and and uh, they get left sort of behind. And it's good for them maybe to go to somewhere else where they may can play. Absolutely, Tracy. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sure South is going to try to bring some in because they lost a lot of a lot of people on their offensive line, and now they you know they're going to try to be replacing uh, uh, Colin at wide receiver. So. That works both ways, absolutely, Scott. What are your thoughts about former Auburn All-American Kendall Simmons taking an offensive line job at Middle Tennessee State University with their new head coach over there in Middle Tennessee? Well, I'm really happy for Kendall. He has uh, put his time in at Auburn, uh, you know, uh, as a grad assistant and a consultant. Uh, after he got out of the league. And so I'm just glad he's now getting an opportunity to go be the offensive line coach somewhere. And and that's sort of the way this works. You know, when you want to get into the business, you have to put your time in as a, as a grad assistant or a consultant somewhere. Uh, and then you get a break when somebody new moves to another school and, and you get to be the guy. I mean, I'm trying to remember exactly the name of the school that Trey Williams just came to South Alabama last year as a, as the special teams coach, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm super happy for Kendall, and I hadn't heard that, but I knew he was trying to get on, you know, as a real coach, not as a GA or a consultant. Yeah, that 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 going, joining MTSU, that's Derek Mason, former Vanderbilt head coach, former Auburn assistant coach, and he did a little broadcasting this year for SEC Network, but that's one of the reasons, and that's the connection to Middle Tennessee that he has is with Derek Mason. And, you know, we, we were talking moments ago about the high school prospect in Auburn having another commitment from Central of Phoenix City and teammate of Cam Coleman, Dylan Gentry. And Auburn loading up at wide receiver because they've also, you mentioned the transfer earlier, the Georgia State transfer wide receiver Robert Lewis. You also have Bryce Kane, from Baker, you have Cam Coleman and now Dylan Gentry. If there was a couple of positions that Coach Freeze or three that he really wanted to focus on, one that he came when he came to Mobile, he said, I've got to have some wide receivers. Didn't mention anybody by name, but he said, I've got to have wide receivers. Now he's stockpiling at wide receiver for sure. Well, sort of, but you know, he's had three already announced they're in the portal from wide receiver too. So he's 
he's really just replenishing sort of, uh, you know, guys that just not fitting into the mold or guys that don't think they're going to have the chance or just, as Scott said, want a greener pasture to give it a shot uh, and, and or run out of eligibility. So uh, he's, he's got to replenish that room, and I think he's really working on it because for his offense to go, he has to have guys, you know, like we see in the NFL. Uh, did, did you see Allen Ingram have a great night at, at tight end on, on, in the NFL the other night making catches, and you got Brown. And so those are the kinds of guys he has at Ole Miss, and that's the kind of guys he wants to get at Auburn. Yeah, uh, still he's, I understand, looking for a transfer, portal transfer, and, and I'm thinking or uh, hearing the Washington State quarterback is at the top of his list. Yeah, I, I've not been able to figure out if you're talking about, did you say at Auburn? You're right. Uh, he was trying to bring yeah, I, a transfer a quarterback yeah, I don't. In. I don't know, Scott. It's, uh, he's keeping – if you watch all the transfer things, nowhere has Hugh allowed him on everything else, offensive line, defensive line, one or two just linebackers, defensive backs, et cetera. Everybody has announced, hey, I've received an offer as a transfer from Auburn. But he hasn't allowed that information, to my knowledge, as when I last checked it, which I didn't get a chance to look this afternoon. But anybody to say, hey, I've received an offer from Auburn. It's all speculation to my knowledge at this point if he's actually going to extend uh, an offer to one of these transfers. So that that will be real interesting to see because the speculation is that Robbie Ashford will graduate in May and that he can't transfer until then. He'll be like uh, T.J. Uh, Finley was. He'll be a grad transfer. He's used up his you know, prior transfer. And nobody knows for sure if Hank Brown, the kid from Lipscomb that signed last year at quarterback, uh, you know, where he stands, he redshirted, or whether Holden uh, Garinier stays. You know, Holden certainly coach talks all the time about how he can spin it, how he can throw it. You know, he can throw it downfield like Scott could. Scott could throw, you know, deep balls. and uh, But he doesn't really run like Peyton Thorne, and it seems like that's the kind of quarterback Coach Freeze has always wanted is somebody that can hurt you with your, his arm and and his leg. So that'll be the real interesting thing to see if Auburn does bring in a grad transfer quarterback. Absolutely. And you're listening to the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner, and Nick Wiggins bringing you this evening show. We'll take a break and we'll be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Scott Hunter joining me in studio. Tracy Turner on the phone with us and Nick Wiggins with us as well and you know, guys. Hey, Corey. Yeah. I forgot to I forgot to ask, and I I just hadn't heard 
Is early signing date next Wednesday or is this Wednesday? It is going to be next Wednesday. Yeah, so yeah. the 20th, right? Yes, 20th, it is the yeah. 20th. It is going to be next Wednesday. will be the first early signing period. And speaking of signing period, you know, we heard yesterday it made national sporting news in regards to Ryan Williams reclassifying. It's somebody that Scott Hunter, you'll get a chance to know very well here if he decides to go ahead and hold Don't his commitment to the Crimson court. Tide. And, <laughs> and and look, if he doesn't hold his commitment to the Crimson Tide, Tracy, you already know him very well from your time hey. that you spent with him and your son in Sarah Land. I, I told Ryan, I saw him not too long ago, don't let anybody, and I and I meant this. Don't let anybody else help make up his decision because nobody else is going to have to get up at 5:30 in the morning and do those workouts but him. And uh, Ryan is a great kid, and I promise you, just I, I could give you some personal examples. He is the kind of kid you want on your team because he has loyalty and brotherhood. On top of which, he is one of the greatest wide receivers I have ever seen in my entire – I've been on the sideline since I was four and a half or five. My dad, who's a high school coach, and Ryan, is, is, uh, I, I can't count ten better ones in all my life. He's that good. So I hope he goes where he's happy in, in all sincerity because he's going to be a great success. Yeah, I was concerned, you know, back when – uh, I talked about him reclassifying uh, to be a, a senior this year where he would be eligible to play next year. And I got concerned about it as I said that on radio. I mean, I was just speculating. I, w- I had no inside information or anything else. And I said, uh-oh, Jeff Kelly's going to be mad at me. I, I can't go out to Sarah Land anymore and stop and get a milkshake. You know, everybody's going to be mad at me out there. But, you know, it was just a minute or two after – we got through talking about it. His grandfather called and said, "Well, the family's been talking about it and under consideration." So, so anyway, um, he makes a decision after the championship game the other night in Tuscaloosa to reclassify and graduate. And I think, in his case, uh, and to explain this to the listener, if your son was six four and two two ninety five and uh, the starting right tackle at Saraland and he wanted to reclassify as a junior to a senior and you were to ask me, I'd say no, that's the worst decision you can make because he's seventeen, eighteen and he's be going he's gonna be trying to pass block a guy that's twenty one, twenty two, that's been in the weight room five years longer than he has, and that's a total mismatch. Now, wide receiver, whole different show. It's about speed, quickness, and ability out there. And there's much, much, even if he were going against uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry, there's still not that great a difference between those two players that he can't uh, beat Kool-Aid McKinstry on a well-run route or or get upfield or something of that nature. So it's different with a skilled player uh, running back and a wide receiver than it is for an interior lineman or a linebacker that has to be in there with the big guys and the older guys who, who you know, who've been there for a long, longer time. Scott, and I totally agree with him because he is clearly physically able and gifted to as far as running. But the other part is we just don't ever know when Congress might get some grasp on this NIL. 
nor how long they can continue to do what all the schools are doing as far as funding NIL. And so if you're somebody like Ryan that's one of the top ten recruits in the whole country and somebody's willing to give you a really good NIL deal, um, you, you can and you have the grades, so you're smart enough. You're, you're graduating from high school. I don't see anything wrong with it. Go ahead and decide where you want to go and, and get started. So I, I'm, I'm in agreement with him. I tell you, he's just a, an elite athlete, elite player. We had him earlier today on the final drive talking about his high school experiences. He was put on the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star roster and was an addition to that Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game that will be played this Saturday in Hattiesburg to go along with this Under Armour All-American game that he'll be playing later on as well. And I, I know that, you know, you'd look at, once again, all the, the elite players, and Cam Coleman was one of those guys that, that I got a chance to see up close and personal at Central Phoenix City defeated and was able to beat Thompson and Cam Coleman. You can only contain players for so long. And Cam Coleman, if he comes to Auburn, he'll have a chance to, to play immediately. And, and you're not – they don't give out those five stars for any reason. And I know sometimes people say, well, he didn't play against the type of competition at – a 1A or 2A level in other states and even in this state. But when you're a dog, you're a dog. And when you can get it done, you can get it done. And, Scott, you mentioned the physically development stage of an offensive or defensive lineman versus that of a quarterback or a skilled position player well, and the huge difference. So, some is. players can go play on the offensive or defensive front early, and maybe not so much on the defensive front, like a Bill Condon. When he got to Alabama back under Bill Curry, uh, the weight room, uh, the weight program out at Murphy High School, he was already the strongest lineman on the football team when he got to Alabama. It's uh, something for Alabama's weight strength strength program of that day. Uh, but And there's other guys, uh, the, line, the lineman from Pensacola a few years ago that I think in the SEC championship, um, Alex uh, Leatherwood, Leatherwood, Leatherwood. They, had, they had to go in and play and did a great job on the Georgia defensive end that was rushing. But that those are rarities. Uh, that just it, it ain't everybody like that uh, that's an offensive or a defensive lineman. Well, guys, I, I know. Scott, go ahead, Tracy. Hey, Corey, let me just throw in, you know, and that's one of the problems when I'm not sitting there. And I apologize, guys, but uh, you can take the Chalkville-Stairland championship game, how difficult it is to win a state championship. Stairland really is hurting Chalkville. Nobody can cover Ryan. If they try to double him, there's other guys. And right before half, the starting right tackle gets hurt. And in the entire second half, Stairland then cannot run any long developing passes to really get down the field because they can't give the quarterback time to throw so they have to change and throw a lot more screens and stuff and it was it reminded me and i told somebody of the alabama georgia national championship game when uh, i think it's it jameson williams is yes. that his name yeah jameson went and, Re and mechie was, and mechie was already knee, gone the moment he heard his knee georgia walked their corners up to the line and their safeties came up within eight yards and it totally changed the game so, I was sitting there watching uh, a, it. An offensive lineman is still important. Yeah, it, it is huge. And 
I tell you, we'll, we'll talk a little bit on the other side of this break. I know that Scott. I'm has, going to the Rose Bowl. Hey, look, Scott say he's going to the Rose I'm Bowl. I'm going to the Rose, the hey, real hey, Rose Bowl. Hey, hey, nothing wrong with that January one. Start your new year Man, off right it's there. it's been since 1946. Hey, well, that's part of the fight song, right? Yeah, it, it we've it been is. singing about it <laughs> for 100 years. So let's Scott go. Scott say he's going to go. The, mm. the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame is opening a special Bart Starr exhibit. I want to talk about what he's going to mean, what he means to Scott Hunter, and also the SEC Network doing a special on Bart Starr starting tomorrow. So we'll go and we'll keep it a little bit of old school here on the Chavis Furniture Talking Football. Deborah, Deborah Hunter told me that I was going to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> love it. Love it. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 105.5. segment of the day thanks for hanging with us a reminder if you missed any of our interviews uh you can always catch them um wherever you find your favorite podcast wnsp now uh spotify is a popular place uh search for wnsp now and listen for uh that show or any of our shows in the past you can catch up on anything you might have missed lee shrevanian did you look look up gary kawazo yet no you know, I've been looking into this Gary Kowazo. <laughs> you didn't. Come on. I don't think he was very good. Well, it turned out that he wasn't. He was a quarterback who just, like many quarterbacks back then, it was a t- different time. They sat on the bench. And the, the starting quarterback, coaches didn't take them out, no matter what. And then the Saints gave up a couple of draft picks, which set him back for a few years. And Kowazo never, never really panned out. Mark, you're pretty good at finding stuff like this. Tyreek Hill, who had to leave the game yesterday with an ankle injury, said he was spurred on by his wife's text, but I can't find what it was. That guy, he, he, he did come back and make a few catches uh, on the field, but he, obviously he was hurting. Um, oh, here it is. <laughs> it was like this, and I can't use the word. It begins with an S, hurt. I need an ankle massage tonight, and she's like, you'd better get your rear end back in the game, dog. I was like, okay. Say dog again. Dog. 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 That's right, dog. Hey, you guys, you know, you know how people always say uh, what it would be like to be a, a fly on the wall or, or get a picture or get some sort of insight into someone's mind. Basically, that's what today's show was. It's just Lee, like just, just being like just spitting out whatever comes to mind. We we've got so many different. There was New Jersey references and and. Uh, some interesting nicknames that he uh, well, that he you, worked you with. You started it with this uh, agent. Here's a point of reference on the, the Italian Kowazo. agent. Yeah, looked him up. His picture's in black and white. So, <laughs> <laughs> and wait a minute. You brought up the agent. He brought up Daryl Lamonica. Okay. Well, first of all, everybody has been talking about the agent. That's. I mean, that he was trending. He had Tommy a, DeVito's agent. You know. Sylvester Stallone, the you know Rocky as a pimp. That's what he was dressed like, <laughs> with the black pinstripe, the black hat, the gold chain. What was the movie we were talking about a couple of weeks ago where Joe Pesci played Tommy DeVito? 
Well, first of all, Tommy DeVito. Uh, Goodfellas. Okay, but Tommy DeVito, remember I brought up, was one of the original Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Oh, here we go. Oh, not this again. Oh, not this again. Oh. Le- Levy programming today's show cool. for everybody 70 and older. Quazzo is good friends with with uh, the agent. Oh, rough 1967 season for the Saints. Seven yeah. touchdowns, 12 we we picks. We don't like to talk about it. <laughs> Seven know, touchdowns and 12 back picks. Look, the forward pass was just invented. We hadn't fully grasped the concept yet. Give us a break. We're going to talk tomorrow about slinging Sammy Ball. If you go back <laughs> in history, you'll see that most quarterbacks were like 50-50, but the reason was they were throwing long passes. They weren't dump, dink and dunk every five yards. Back in the day? Back in the day. Mm. Okay. His final season in 1972, he had five touchdowns Why? and 11 picks. For You're St. not Lewis. helping. He's an I am He's kind of fascinated by Gary Cuazzo, <laughs> frankly. Five years on the bench. Mm. He was like Chase Daniels. Is Chase still in the league? Yeah, but I don't think Cuazzo made Who else $50 can you million. Think of? Dollars. Oh, how about the guy... Let's see if you got how sharp you are on this one. Peyton Manning's backup with Indianapolis. How many years? Curtis Painter? No. Which one? Sorgi. Oh, God. Do you remember him? He was there forever backing up Peyton Manning. Hardly ever got into a game. And Chase Daniels was another one with the Saints mm. and about every yeah, other he's team. he's been around. I think he might be out of the league now. I'm not sure. So what's cooking for tomorrow? Oh, I don't uh, even know yet. In addition to our stroll down memory lane. Well, we're going to have John Garcia to update us on recruiting, what with Ryan Williams switching now, what that means for Alabama. and, and Reclassifying. Reclassifying. You said right. switching and switching. Auburn fans everywhere just jumped up like, do you what? Think, do you think? Not yet. Do you think I was pulling a Tony Romo when he said that uh, – you're right. I, I, I should have just said reclassifying because he's still – Ryan Williams was asked at the press conference. He is still committed to Alabama, but he's not signing immediately. He says he's going to sign February 9th. That's his birthday. I was kind of fascinated that the three Auburn assistants were at that press conference, but nobody from Alabama. Nick, right. Nick if, Saban was, at, uh, was in California with Julian Sayan yesterday. So who's more important to Alabama next year? Probably players to surround Ryan Williams with, right? Well, he that he's going to have his quarterback in Milrow. That's his quarterback next year, right? I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Milrow makes a shock declaration to the NFL after two great, two more great games. Who knows? All right. Did you have fun today, Mark? Um, I did. Were you educated? It was. It was something. Did this help you back with history? Yes. Okay. Yes. Eric Wazo. <laughs> Good friend of Tommy DeVito and, and family. <laughs> Tommy DeVito was an original Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. All right. Let's cut this one now. Yeah, we're, we're going to be back tomorrow, I guess. Talk a little Dylan Rayola. See ya. <laughs> I will see you.